Climate change is our biggest problem. This podcast lays out some of the smartest fixes for climate change. My name is Matt, and this is Climate Solutions. Today, getting into the weeds. Nature is an adaptable system. It's evolved and changed, modified by human intervention and natural disasters. But we mustn't take that adaptability for granted. What we consume and burn feeds a blanket around the planet. It seeps into the oceans and pervades our own bodies and every other living thing. We've severed many of nature's living connections and cycles. Our economic progress has been accompanied by a reckless disregard for the cost to our world. Well, we have a chance to build a new connection now between biodiversity and our well-being. Some people say we face a choice between innovative, thriving human communities or saving the natural world. But that's not true. When we invest in and maintain our biodiversity, we expand our way of thinking about economics. Biodiversity is our natural infrastructure. It's just as important to economic development in the decades ahead as the infrastructure we build with concrete steel and fiber optic cables. Today on Climate Solutions, a new ABC for biodiversity, we're going to present you with some age-old truths and update them with the urgency of the climate crisis, with recent discoveries and with important developments in green finance. Nature's own builders create their habitats and pave the way for other life, including ours. These are the ecosystem engineers. Let's go into how they work. In natural landscapes, species such as large herbivores, beavers, wild boars, they create shifting mosaics of open and dense vegetation. They shape rivers, they work the soil. They engineer environments for other plants and animals who also play an important role in soil generation and recycling nutrients. Predators have a special place in this story. They influence the behavior of herbivores and control their populations. That's important because otherwise they'd strip away too much vegetation. In today's landscapes, these ancient behaviors and relationships can be difficult to observe. Many species exist on the fringes of their original habitats because the wilderness is disappearing. Soils are the digestive system of plants. They store more carbon than the atmosphere. Healthy soil sustains a resilient cover of vegetation, a cooling engine, a vertical transport of water and heat. Soil carbon is sequestered by plants, fungi, and tiny creatures over decades, even over centuries. The physical and chemical properties of water make the oceans the Earth's main sink and conveyor of heat and carbon dioxide. Life in the oceans plays a critical role. Plankton, for example, produce half the world's oxygen, and they sequester carbon as they die off down in the deep parts of the sea. They're also the basis for a food web that extends up rivers to birds and animals on land, thus returning nutrients. Whales. They're hunted into small numbers, but whales play an important role in recycling and redistributing nutrients and the Earth's climate because they help fertilize the plankton. I don't think I should go into too much detail, Nicola, about how a whale fertilizes plankton. Please don't. 
you won't be able to unsee that. So let's just move on. This natural infrastructure is being eroded because of insufficient protection. This makes the impact of human greenhouse gas emissions worse because it releases stored carbon and prevents natural processes from reabsorbing it. Once these natural connections are broken, it might not be possible to replace them. Think about what we stand to lose in the near future if we don't act now. A good example is the pollination of crops that is essential to the fruits and vegetables grown across the world. We need healthy, stable populations of pollinator species to ensure food supply and adequate nutrition for a growing population, or else we face the costs of disrupting the food system. Globally, crop pollination contributes the equivalent of 150 billion euros every year. That's a real tangible value created by native biodiversity with very low costs. So next time your grumpy old uncle says, why should we protect nature? It's more important to support jobs and growth in our economy. You can tell him, hey, pollinators like bees contribute more to the world economy each year than most countries. There are only 50 countries in the world with a GDP bigger than those tiny little crop pollinators. Alarmingly, pollinator populations are in severe decline. So what we've just introduced is the idea that nature is a contributor to our economic systems. Let's dig a bit deeper into that idea. We can attempt to capture the combined value the world's ecosystems provide to the economy, something called ecosystem services. It's estimated that they contribute $125 trillion to $140 trillion a year. That's seven times the GDP of the United States. What do you think of that, grumpy old uncle? However, the complexity of ecosystems means that we don't always understand which threads in nature's tapestry are the most important for the whole picture, and we don't understand the full consequences of losing them. In its landmark 2019 report, the International Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services said that one million species are in imminent danger of being lost. The consequences for mankind of such a disruption of nature will be severe. Loss of diversity is already occurring within species with decreasing genetic variation, including in staples for humans, making food systems less naturally resilient to disease and climate change. The greatest pressures on nature and its biodiversity today are land use change. A growing population and inefficient resource use and distribution. Climate change is going to play a bigger role in these pressures on nature in the coming decades though. It's going to be a major driver of extinction because temperature changes are a danger to ecosystems around the world. I mentioned land degradation. It's a big problem. 23% of our land is experiencing reduced productivity, and this percentage is increasing. But what is it? Industrial exploitation of soil has created high agricultural yields, but it's changing the deep structure and life of the soil, and it's also releasing carbon back into the atmosphere. The result is often an erosion of the capacity of soils to absorb and retain water, reducing their ability to buffer drought and to stop flooding. 
clearing woodlands and poor livestock management have also set in motion a chain of degradation and erosion of topsoil. But wait, there's more. Intentional clearing of natural forests and more frequent fires releases vast amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. The protection of existing forests and planting new ones is essential to halt rising atmospheric CO2. Let's go back to your grumpy old uncle and his idea that protecting nature is somehow at odds with the interests of business and the economy. Commercial forestry can support sustainable landscapes and foster rural economic growth and employment. For example, the biomass from forests is an important renewable fuel source. Global demand for wood, renewable fiber, and other forest products is growing. This demand is driven primarily by biodegradable packaging, soft tissue products, and renewable energy. Wood is also central to meeting the demand for innovations, such as construction materials that can store carbon and replace those that require a lot of energy to produce. In the EU, forests and other wooded areas account for over 40% of the land. In recent decades, afforestation, that's where you plant forests, has increased this area by about 0.4% a year. The actual volume of the EU's forests is also rising. Only 60% of the annual forest growth is harvested. So with government programs, large-scale and rapid afforestation is possible. We need to act faster, but it's getting there. So that's the forest. Nicola, shall we dive into the oceans? I'll take a deep breath. <laughs> whales and all other marine life are affected by rising temperatures, declining oxygen, and rising acidity from carbon dioxide. Ecosystems, notably near the coast and coral reefs, have been altered by an overload of nutrients from the land and by the decimation of predators such as shark, tuna, and trout. Who knew trout was a predator? Huh? The loss of seagrass meadows is removing one of the world's largest carbon sinks and nurseries of ocean life, including key commercial species. Noise pollution, marine traffic, and trawling of the seafloor to catch fish are also taking a heavy toll. Plastics and chemicals affect every part of the marine food web, including consumers such as ourselves. You can listen to our episode on the oceans for more on this. An estimated 8 million metric tons of plastic waste enters the oceans every year, threatening marine ecosystems and the communities that depend on the seas for their livelihood. 90% of plastic waste enters the oceans through 10 major river systems, two in Africa and eight in Asia. About 2 billion people worldwide still lack access to regular waste collection, while around 3 billion lack access to controlled waste disposal. A lot of their waste ends up in the oceans. In the next decade, Experts think there'll be a lot of opportunity for development in marine energy, marine biotechnology, coastal tourism, transport, and food production. That means investment opportunities, too. The financial sector potentially also has an important role to play in encouraging a sustainable blue economy. That's the name for all the investment that relates to water. When we work with nature, we tap into life's connections and synergies. It's up to us to capture the multiple benefits. Finance can become an enabler of transformation if the timescales and the specific risks relating to natural outcomes can be managed. The European Union is at the forefront of exploring new 
sustainable financial approaches, such as the Natural Capital Financing Facility, which is yielding lessons for a future architecture around biodiversity and nature-based solutions. You've already heard about the Natural Capital Financing Facility if you've heard our urban development episode. If you haven't, go and look at it, uh, listen to it rather, and subscribe. We have the knowledge and understanding to create a future where our actions are in balance with natural processes. We need to invent new ways to make our economies low carbon and climate friendly. While we're inventing those new ways, we can invest in natural solutions right now. Every episode of Climate Solutions ends with some actions you can take to fight climate change. I'm going to do that right now because this is an episode about nature. I'm going to be a bit more gentle about it. That's the key here. We all have to get closer to nature. So I'm going to give you some suggestions and directions uh, for how to become curious and compassionate about the natural world and the people affected by its changes. A world with more nature is a place that you and your children will want to live in. So, help politicians make the right choices, get involved in local initiatives. And within your daily routine, find out what you can do to give nature a little space. In your garden or your window box, for example, don't be too hard on the weeds. Weeds can be pretty. Learn to love the ugly ones. Okay, that's our episode. For the research, I want to thank Stephen Hart, who works in the Environment and Climate Finance Policy Unit of the European Investment Bank, and Andrew Neal, a PhD student at Trinity College Dublin. Subscribe to Climate Solutions and you'll learn what you should do to fight climate change in the oceans, on the road, in your home, even on your digital devices. I'll be back with Nicola, the climate Croat. Bye-bye. Next week on Climate Solutions from the European Investment Bank, the EU Climate Bank. <laughs>